0: Welcome back to another episode of the Home Stretch and welcome to our next guest, who is Dr. Savas Savori. So thank you, Savas, for joining us today. Pleasure. Although you did just tell me to that the polite people call you just Dr. Sav. So Dr. Sav is a chief economist and a partner at Tosca Fund Asset Management. You are a doctor of econometrics so we really couldn't have got anyone more qualified to come in and talk to us about things that are going on could we ian and the property and the economy
1: absolutely not when i first saw econometrics i actually i have to be honest sav i didn't actually know what it was i'm
2: still trying to find it myself so um <laughs> you could help me it's a it's a subject that um, blends economics with statistics and computing and mathematics geography So it's sort of a a portmanteau of subjects. Uh, Not very fashionable now, but back in the eighties, as a student, it was state of the art.
0: Well, I did Google how to pronounce it. That was as far as I got with econometrics. And so I hope I am pronouncing it right. And so we've got loads of questions for you, but before we get into all of that, I think I'd like you just to tell us a little bit more about Tosca Fund and what your role is there.
2: Well, this is what is commonly known as a hedge fund, although it does much more than long, short strategies. I've been here 15 years. So I've been in commercial finance for 32 years. So almost half of it within Tosca Fund. It's a partnership. Most of the partners have worked together at least once before in other incarnations. My, my job really is to um, provide us a macroeconomic overview, um, challenging received wisdom, kicking the tires of Expectations that are out there, and and quite often being controversial, uh, not because I want to be controversial, but because there's hardly a moment in time where the narrative or received wisdom is 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 not incorrect. And you might you might think, well, how can that possibly be the case? The sad truth is that whether it's the IMF or the Bank of England or uh, it, it's sort of investment banks, they have a habit of making a claim that they then realises is wrong. And rather than accept that they've got to correct it, they use the uh, expression revising it. Okay, is <laughs> that, That's semantic. And, and uh, uh, without playing my own trumpet, I think that we're, uh, we're fairly well regarded. Well, certainly, uh, my opinions are, are not ignored. Um, they may be challenged, but they're not ignored.
0: I, I did read a few of your articles before um, before we spoke. And I messaged Ian, I said, this guy really
1: knows his stuff. Yeah, he does. Dr. Sav, I read the report that you did um, for Matt Siebert from Tosca surrounding mortgage rates, and that was a fascinating read and uh, really sort of shed the light on the fact that uh, there's more homeowners in the UK now with no mortgage than ever before. Yeah, and, that, and that's the
2: problem The problem is that the yardsticks that are used for the economy tend to be outdated. So, so we look at the UK economy, the housing market yeah as if it were the economy in the 80s yeah and we, we all we all know that uh, certainly through my 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 lifetime my working lifetime i've seen a housing crisis 89 that lasted until 92 i've seen a labor market crisis from 79 to 83 mm-hmm. i've seen a banking crisis 08 to 09 so uh, we've lived through um worked through these things and what we found last year was The narrative was that we were going through a sort of an existential housing, labor and banking crisis. So all three in one. And I made the point that uh, nothing could be further from the truth. The housing market, as Ian mentioned, was incredibly robust, incredibly robust. 14 years of zero interest rates. Just think about it. 14 years of zero interest rates, which is what they were. 0.5 is zero.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, If you were mortgaged, you spent every month paying down your principal which was denying banks income. Mm. So this, can, I, can I just begin with this observation? You've got this sort of exaggerated narrative from journalists. Um, the BBC, Daily Mail, The Express, Telegraph, CNBC talking about interest rates going up and um, in a sort of in a really frenzied way. When base rates are close to zero, it's a bit like a, someone you love being on a life support machine. You want them to be removed from it and th- let's face it an economy to be functioning uh, healthily needs interest rates certainly the uk needs to be between th- three and a half and four and a half percent interest rates base rate yeah but we're currently at 425 we could get to point 4.75 nothing to fret about because 10 million homes in england so 10 million out of the 20 million private homes in england are ungeared yeah remarkable yeah. 14 years of zero interest rates those that are geared, so the rest are either PRS or uh, owner-occupied. You've never had more mortgages that are fixed rate. So we're talking about two thirds of uh, five-year fixed rates, which basically means the, the run rate of renewals is about 1.3 million a year. And another point that needs to be observed is that of those homes that are um, geared but are in the PRS market, so the, the owner has tenants in the property for paying them rent. Those yeah. tenants don't have a mortgage. And what those tenants do have is incredible wage bargaining power because yeah. you simply look at vacancy data and the most, the most prized possession at the moment is your labor. Mm. You don't need to yeah. go and strike. The The strikes we're seeing are exaggerated because they, they relate to the public sector, which is a very small part of the economy. In the private sector, if an employer wants to retain and recruit staff they will give them the pay demands that they are warranted 8 or 9% mm-hmm. so by the end of this year you've got real wage inflation which will be positive but the point is that if you're a landlord and you've got tenants in your property you simply ask for more money for more rent and you'll get it because they in turn are asking for more money from their yep. employer it doesn't it's not a recipe for a wage price spiral don't worry about that because the days of sort of what are known in economics as hysteresis, where wages go up, prices go up, prices go up, wages go up, that, that connection was broken uh, back in the, in, the, in the 1980s. And yet your average journalist is using a rule book for the UK, which is completely irrelevant. So the rule book for the UK does not involve indexation of wages and prices, does not involve an immediate transfer from the base rate to mortgage rates. So you've got this immediate sort of, um, not nonsense that if the base rate goes up, we'll basically end up paying more for our mortgages. First of all, 10 million English homes
1: don't have a mortgage. Mm. And, and how many um, savers are there in the UK? Roughly. Because an, an increase in, in bank rate will actually help them from a savings perspective, won't it? That's a,
2: that's a very good question. And this
1: becomes a very
2: difficult um, thing to uh, explain because it seems insensitive. So during COVID... A horrible medical crisis. Yeah, we know because the Bank of England tells us as much in their data. We know that the, in aggregate, across all households, um, we had the benefit of a quarter of a trillion pounds of involuntary savings. A quarter of a trillion pounds of involuntary savings. Not my words, the Bank of England's. Not my numbers, of Bank of England's, because we weren't travelling. We were getting paid mm. furlough money. Uh, we weren't going overseas. We weren't. We were getting things delivered to our doors. So quarter of a trillion pounds of involuntary savings that we have because of
1: COVID. And- Dr. Sav, Dr. can I ask a question? So you mentioned that you you provide um, a macro overview of the economy. How disruptive for you was Trustonomics? So LISP Trust and Quasi-Quotang's mini-budget that caused pandemonium. F- from your perspective in your day-to-day job, how... Um, because you never could have foreseen that that was going to happen, surely.
2: Well, I, with respect, uh, I could send you, again, I'm not grandstanding. Uh, in the It was a, it was a really drawn-out contest between her and Sunak, So you had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of leeway to analyse the options. And you could see that she was running favourite. And I, I put a paper out, two-sided, I'll send it to you. Just two sides. It said, if Looney Liz gets in, which is likely, there'll be... A, a crisis because her, her policies were look give her a, give her a, a credit she was perfectly honest about what she's going to do the fact what she can do was unnecessary is because of the point she was honest and transparent which brings so i've been I've I've, I've I've been in this game long enough that that li, the, the Looney liz moment was just one of many moments i've seen i saw the john major crisis of 92 and we could go through um the the, 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 near, the near premiership of Jeremy Corbyn in 2017 and 19. So I've been around the, um, the tracks. The problem with, with Liz, I'm going to be perfectly frank here. We have a terrible governor of the Bank of England. Yeah. Uh, he followed a terrible governor. Uh, Mark Carney was not very good. Right. Before Carney, we had Mervyn King, who was fantastic. Yeah. We had a great chief economist with Andy Haldane. So we had Bailey, but we had Haldane. So you had Bailey, who was sort of bombastic, not very good. He was terrible at the FSA. And they'd be ha- held in. Held in left. So you've now got a terrible governor and a terrible chief economist in the Bank of England. And to tell you how ter- terrible they are, look at their forecasts. There's almost nothing that you could have thrown at the UK economy last year that could have been worse. You had, you had a monetary crisis. You had the inflation from Ukraine. You had the political crisis. You had strikes. You had the Queen's. Jubilee and then the Queen's sad death, yeah. lots of disruption, and yeah. th- that's yeah. important. it rising rates. In the middle of this, the Bank of England forecast recession. In fact, as of the second, uh, third of May, we should we should have we should now be in the third quarter of recession according to yeah. the Bank of England, back in May of last year. That hasn't happened.
1: Yeah. So have risk- we avoided recession? Do you think? And are we going to avoid recession? Look,
2: uh, GDP is an abstract concept. So recession Mm -hmm. technically is two quarters of negative Q&Q GDP. So we're we're dealing with GDP moves now, which are in the region of rounding errors. If you see a GDP number, which is 0.1 or 0.2, that's a rounding error. And let me make one one thing very clear. The way we we behave in the economy, uh, not only us, but all the uh, listeners, we behave in ways that now make the GDP measure for the UK uh, an, an inaccurate navigation tool. It's an anachronism. So let me give you, for instance, we've been told for the past three years that we're buying less food at supermarkets. Yeah. And the, the, the narrative that you see in the garden and the Telegraph and the mail and the BBC is that we're actually starving ourselves because of food cost inflation. Now, it could be true, but for one, one issue, we're migrating more and more of our consumption of food to dark kitchens. The food that you see delivered to doors from Getir and Gorillas and the, the panoply of delivery platforms. That's yeah. just restaurant quality milk. That is not considered a retail sale. It's it's consumption. So the fact we're not buying our food from grocery stores is a weight on GDP. Right. Because GDP doesn't cap- capture it quickly enough. Does so that make really sense? And also GDP includes things like the amount of fuel we consume, the petrol we put into our cars, and there's a secular decline. We are driving less petrol-driven cars. Yeah. Uh, not because, because we're going electric, but because we're having things delivered to us. If I'm not driving to Sainsbury's, Tesco, Asda, and it's coming to me, then I'm not putting petrol in my car. So whenever you see GDP, add 0.2 to it. Right. If the number says 0.1, it should 0.3. So there's a there's a, a sort of a an unnatural downward bias to GDP. so to, to answer your question the uk economy was never going to go into recession because recessions don't simply happen magically or badly you need one of three things to happen you've got to imagine an economy is if it were a, a three-legged stall mm-hmm. uh, one leg is the property market both residential and commercial the other yeah. leg is labor market across all sectors and the third leg is financial services banking insurance pension funds so for a recession to happen you need one of those legs to buckle and if one leg buckles it it can damage each other too mm-hmm. 89 it was housing 79 it was the jobs market 08 it was the banks so we've lived through uh, a buckling in the uk economy housing market last year we've, we've established never yeah. been healthier yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah commercial property never had less foreign gearing So there was no distress selling of property assets. We can talk about the LDI crisis. So labor market, property market, banks. Mm. Banks have been starved of income at 0.5 base rate. So the move in the base rate, which should have happened, let's be honest, the UK base rate should have been uh, raised from 2013. It wasn't. Mark Carney was inept.
1: Interesting. Very, very interesting.
2: The journey journey to to sort of 4.5% base rate should have begun in two thirteen, and anyone yeah. who's gone, yeah. anyone who's climbed up a ladder or walked up some some steps knows that the it's easier to go uh, to start early on an incline yeah. than to go vertical. Yeah. And so what you had was we had we had lockdown. Remember the quarter of a trillion pounds that we saved, yeah, voluntary yeah. savings? So Andy Haldane, the chief economist of Bank of England, when he was still chief economist, he said. In a Daily Mail interview, he said, there's a lot of dry powder in the economy. When we unlock the population, I mean, mm. they, can't, they can't travel as easily. They, they're gonna spend that money in the economy. That's gonna be inflationary. Mm. So he was saying, not very coded, we should start raising interest rates. Yeah. It took nine months from the unlock
1: to the bank to even begin to move from point one. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me, actually. it's so. Th- um, so just recapping. So there's lots of negativity and I'll use the word manipulation in the press in terms of interest rates. It's doom and gloom. It's we're all going to hell in a handcart, et cetera. They have done that for years. I, I've been an agency like yourself for 30 odd years. And the, the Daily Express is always for me the worst newspaper from a headline sensation perspective. Sorry if you know anybody that works there, listeners. Um, because it is just about making people feel worse to try and stop their behaviour, trying to change their behaviour effectively. So um, you're a believer of manipulation, a believer that the fact that the Bank of England hasn't necessarily acted swiftly enough knowing the situation that we're in. Um, and Liz Truss, you predicted as, I mean, there was a podcast that Holly will know that when she first came out with a mini budget, I was on with a chap called Anthony Codling, who you may or may not have heard of, He's a, a, an analyst also, and we we questioned the theory behind the process because it didn't make any sense even to me, and I'm, I, I'm a layperson. Um, I guess the big question for me is what's your uh, view on the economy for the remainder of this year and going into next year, partic- with particular emphasis to the housing market? It's a
2: simple question and I'll give you a straightforward answer. It'll get stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, we've passed in the of of consumer... Confidence being at its its low points. Uh, business confidence is now picking up dramatically, because in many ways you could argue that the the general consensus is that well, if we can weather last year, there is nothing that this country, this economy, bear in mind, this economy has been transformed over recent decades. Um, it, it took a lot of beat beat. It took a lot of beating, and downturns to create the economy that mm. we have today. Yeah, and the, the underlying issue with the UK economy is just how competitive the landscape is. In, yeah. Take inflation. Inflation was always going to come down dramatically because there are so many forces that are disinflationary. The internet, e-commerce are out there pulling prices down. And that isn't going to end, that sort of gravitational pull. So in many ways, it, was never a con- it shouldn't have concerned us about inflation becoming embedded. And here's another thing. Just like the base rate for a healthy economy, like the UK should be between three and a half to four and a half percent. Yeah, it shouldn't even be wired by four point seven five. Even a five percent base rate, but the, 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 it will be range bound between three and a half to four and a half percent in the instant inflation. There is no rule in economics that says there's a magic inflation number. So mm-hmm. this sort of obsession with two percent. My view is that two percent is unsustainable. The UK will have an inflation rate between three and five percent in the year a very healthy rate of inflation because okay. half of half of the sorry, half of the CPI half of the CPI is staff not stuff we're the only country in the world where the the component of the CPI is half and half between services and goods right so you go you go to a cinema theater you go to a restaurant you go to to any uh, to, to gym, you have your nails done, your head done. That's a service. You're not leaving with any goods, that counts as CPI. So you're, the CPI being at three to five percent is is suggesting that wage inflation is healthy. You need wage inflation, yeah. and for, for many many years this country lacked wage inflation because yeah. of the single labour market. Yeah, I
1: agree. So I'm of the opinion that inflation is my friend as a salesperson, because it does, for me, it does two things, particularly rel- relative to the housing market. Number one, it incentivizes people to make decisions now, because in a year's time, it'll be more expensive. And number two, if they have got uh, inflation in salary, then that is a multiple that will be le- lent uh, for lending, which means that they can pay more for the property. So for me, inflation is, is, is an estate agent's friend, to a certain well, extent. But also, you've got to
2: always put things in, in real terms. So what you do is you look at real interest rates. Yeah. So the nominal interest rate, take away inflation. This, this country can easily justify real interest rates of 2%. Yeah. So a gap of 2% between the base rate and the CPI. But here's where it gets interesting. Uh, back in the, in the late, late 1990s through the 2000s until 2007-8, we had disruptors in the mortgage market. Yeah. And they were amateurs, so you had Halifax and Alliance and Leicester, Northern Rock, and Bingley, RBS, Bank of Scotland. These are, they were either, either regional building societies or regional banks. And they, they, got, they were in market share. And they were regulated by the FSA that boasted that it was going to leave them to get on with it. So you had a mortgage market which was offering sort of 125% mortgages. Yeah, I remember. So self-certified mortgages. So yeah. we were building yeah. up a pro- problem. If you if you'd been have we been talking in two thousand five six seven, I'd have been screaming and shouting that we were heading for a car crash. Yeah. Because you're borrowing short and lending long.
1: Yeah.
2: Where we are in two thousand and twenty three is a platform with entirely different disruptors. But unlike the disruptors that we had in the late nineteen nineties and two thousands, where you had sort of former building societies that didn't know their ass from their elbow, you've now yeah. got. You've got challenger banks, now, whether it's Monzo or Atom, Oak North, uh, uh, Starling, and these guys are well capitalized. They've got their model right.
1: Yeah.
2: And what they're going to do is they're going to lick their lips as the base rate goes up because they're going to use a rising uh, base rate to entice new customers. Yeah. So you can have there's an absurd notion that this negative yield curve, if Short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates. It's a precursor for recession. Absolute nonsense. Back in the 80s and early early 1990s, UK money didn't travel out and money didn't travel in. It was basically sort of a a tepid pool of water. What we've had since then is there are no barriers to capital. We talk about barriers to goods and people, about Brexit and all that. There are four things that travel across borders. People, goods, and money and services. People, goods, money and services. Whatever you think about Brexit and the sort of frictions that you've seen in goods and labour, there are no frictions in services or capital.
1: Hmm.
2: And a great deal... Look at the Norwegians. Look at the Qataris. Look at the Singaporeans. Look at the Australians. Look at the Canadians. They have had a good 2020 They enjoyed last year because they have things under the ground that became more valuable. Where do the Australians and the Canadians and the Norwegians and the Singaporeans and the Qataris put their money? They go to the UK. They come here. They buy fixed assets, they buy buy commercial assets. And they're not flighty capital, they're long term investors. That's my point. Back in in the 2000s, we had Irish banks lending cheap to fund euros into commercial property. It was, a, it was a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah. You saw it with carriages and the Colnott Hotel. That, those, those, those problems, those seeds of, of disruption that were bad then mm. are absent now.
1: That's opened up some thought into my mind. So with so Central Prime London being such a rich area for external or overseas investment, is there a long-term implication to that? So the Chinese have bought, the Russians have bought historically, the it, Americans are coming over. Just watch. First of all, uh,
2: this obsession with London, uh, if you want a sort of a pathfinder yeah. to where the, Chinese, where the Chinese and the Australians and the Canadians want to be, think of Birmingham, Manchester. Think of Sheffield and Leeds and Newcastle.
1: Yeah.
2: Because the fastest-growing industry in this country, the fastest-growing export industry in this country uh, has the three-letter initial HEI. Higher education institutions, or higher education industry, universities are growing like weeds because they're attracting the new wealth of the emerging world. There are there are literally millions of eighteen year olds coming out of India and China every year with enough money to go and study overseas, and they choose a English speaking university. I mean, yeah. they're, they're drawn to Australia and Canada, the US, but the UK is an incredible attractive market for them, and it's not about. Imperial or LSE or Oxford Country. for them, going to Coventry or Leicester or Leeds or Newcastle is a bonus.
1: Yeah.
2: And they, they're transforming these, these towns. The, the beaters are extraordinary. And they, these aren't kids who are living in garret rooms mm. or bedsit. They want, a, they want urban-esque type accommodation. So that is a, a market for the, 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 the residential uh, side of the economy that is overlooked. Mm. Most estimates suggest that within 10 years, you're looking at about a quarter of a million Chinese undergraduates in the UK. There are currently 110,000. Quarter of a million Chinese rich kids. And that's not including the Indians and the Indonesians.
1: who are getting richer. And that's your your demand alone. I I did hear a quote um, a few months ago that there are more people in China learning to speak English than there are English-speaking people. It, 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 it,
2: it, 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 it is true, because you've never had, in the history of economics, so what, when I when I read economics in the 80s, yeah. there was no internet. Yeah. There was no global economy. In the 80s, you had the Soviet Union, yeah. you had the yeah. Eastern Bloc, you had a closed China, you had apartheid-ridden South Africa, you had Chile, Argentina, Brazil, all with dictatorships. You had civil wars in Angola. But there wasn't, you had West Germany, the UK, which is sickly, the yeah. US, yeah. you had France. And that was it. There was no global economy now every country uh with the exception of north korea is in play yeah really and there, there was no internet so so the disrupt back in the 80s supermarkets had no competition there, there was no aldi or lidl hmm. so forget about simply the competition coming from dark kitchens in that we could we can buy things again this will sound insensitive it may appear on paper that it's costing us 20 percent more than it was a year ago to buy food mm. that's not the case because the cpi isn't picking up aldi and little and the huge market share gains that they're enjoying and their pricing points are materially lower than asda and sainsbury and look, look at the market share gains that they're enjoying at the expense of the old guys so you've got as customers we can buy more competitively from Audi Little, Lidl, we can also have food delivered to us. So inflation isn't
1: 20%. So, Sav, why aren't they picking up the likes of Lidl and Audi?
2: Because any any institution has a, a budget and it's not been increased. Um, really? In, really? In, in, really? In, in economics, there's a thing called Slutsky, Slutsky substitution. So if the price of tea and coffee changes, we substitute one for the other. Yeah, yeah. The CPI didn't allow for that. It's sort of Maginot line. Whatever the weights were last year, they impute to this year. So it, it's a very, very sluggish, a bit like driving your car where the speedometer isn't working. Yeah. You simply don't know what speed you're at because it's not telling you Thank accurately. So you've got GDPs wrong, CPIs wrong. So you're left with one thing. Look at asset prices. We, yeah. were, told, yeah. we were told that there'd be a dramatic fall in the price of homes. What we've seen effectively is optically the asking price come down. Yeah. But one thing one thing you can say, one thing you can say with confidence is that there are no distressed sellers, there's no negative equity, no repossessions, which we all saw horribly in uh, 89 and then 08. Yeah. The, 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 we let's be honest be honest, 08 saw regulation of banks passed to the Bank of England. So for all the Bank of England's problems. forecasting the economy it's a really good regulator of banks
1: yeah
2: and it it insists that banks have got big provisions it insists that banks lend lend it carefully or conservatively so there's no housing crisis there is one aspect which is we had for too long we had help to buy
1: yeah
2: it was a bad idea delivered for too long yeah but that's now gone and we've been told it's terrible because it means that first-time buyers have been denied entry-level homes it's great for the housing market because you've removed, uh, effectively, uh, an aberrant scheme. And you're keeping, you're, look, there is no law in economics that says that CPI should be 2%. No law no. in economics says that half the kids go to university. And there's no law in economics that tells you what the right proportion of owner-occupants are.
1: There's no, so I, always is- called, I always called help to buy, help to pay more. Because fundamentally, the builders put the prices up for first-time buyers, but that's a different subject. Let's, let's, look, we,
2: we had a terrible chancellor in George Osborne, and then Hammond. Yeah. We then had, we, we then had a great chancellor in Sunak.
1: Yeah.
2: I would have preferred. Look, I would have preferred Sunak remaining as chancellor, uh, and a bit like Johnson. Johnson was like Bailey; he didn't care who the governor of the Bank of England was as long as you had a good chief economist. I didn't yeah. care about what Johnson time. Thought we had a really good probably the best chancellor in my in my in my lifetime and that's yeah. saying something that's um, interesting but then you had the yeah. disruption the good news is that the current chancellor hum when i when i when i hear hum talking i think of um uh roy uh uh emu oh roy had yeah roy had because what yeah. you've got is you've got sunak writes sunak's been writing the, the chancellor's budgets you yeah. can almost hear yeah. Sue next voice yeah because hunt,
1: hunt isn't that good so whilst whilst we're on politics so here's here's my last question for this section and next time i'm going to ask you all about brexit if i may um but in your role now as a um macroeconomist when do you start scoping uh the impact of change of government because we got an election coming up in the next 18 well, months but
2: again again um it's not new territory we had to do this in 2010 and 15 yeah. and 17 yeah. and 19 um so this, this is not somehow uncharted territory uh, we look we came within a a, a whisker of a corbyn premiership uh, i don't do politics i do economics uh, yeah. I, I i read manifestos through the through the the, the prism of economics
1: yeah
2: and i'm yeah. tell you that that the the corbyn manifesto of 2017 and 19 was economic mumbo jumbo had corbyn Joe, you, know, you know how lucky we were just think about this if i can for a moment this is sort of a very sobering moment we were so lucky that uh, when covid struck imagine it had covid struck three months earlier We had no government no. johnson hadn't been johnson had no majority uh, what yep. would have happened? You would have had a government... Oh, we were in, in the European Union still. You would have had a government of national unity where the Cabinet would have been someone other than Johnson. Johnson would have been kicked out. You would have had Corbyn. You would have had the SNP, the Lib Dems. And it would have been a... Dis- we, we would not have navigated through COVID the way we did because we had a great... Sunak was only appointed as Chancellor three weeks before COVID struck, yeah. before the lockdowns. How lucky was that? Suppose Corbyn had won... Uh, supposedly, the 19th election, December 19, had gone differently.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, the pound would have... The pound's been on its back for seven years. The, the pound's been bouncing along the bottom.
1: Yeah.
2: Had Corbyn won or we had a coalition, it would have gone down dramatically. Guilt yields would have gone to the moon. The country simply could not have financed bounce-back loans. Right. Couldn't have financed furlough. I'm not saying this going to be dramatic. We were very lucky. Uh, that it happened in in march april of 2020 and not in september of 19. but the good news is that that's all hypoth- that's all uh, conjecture and hypothet- uh, uh, hypotheticals yeah, um, yeah. going forward go, going for just, just one one observation about going forward uh, I, I really fear for europe i think okay. we're completely under- understating just how bad the economics of central and eastern europe are if you're Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, Slovakia. Events in Ukraine are causing you trouble, All right? And they're going to fall into recession. Now we know, because we have data, that about six hundred thousand, maybe half a million Europeans, who have settlement status in the UK, left when COVID happened, and haven't come back. All right. They can come back whenever they choose because they have settlement status. Yeah i would suggest that they're going to come back in significant numbers and as they come back they fill the vacancies that we have yeah. as they come yeah. back they have to live somewhere so they produce another positive demand element to uh, prs yeah. on top because junior accommodation is a form of prs
1: yeah
2: so if you're looking at demand supply for, for residential it's only going one way Demand is going up and supply is moving more gently upwards, which means you've got higher rents and higher prices, which is not the narrative you're getting from the, um, the investment banks
1: or the, the broadcasters or the broadsheets. Well, that's interesting. Well, Holly, I don't know about you, but I feel pretty optimistic after this chat. What have you heard?
0: I feel optimistic and enlightened. I think that's amazing, isn't it? The things you can learn just from that, knowing the facts.
2: Well, I, I, I take offence there because the, I don't do optimism. I do realism. Yeah. If there's anything yeah. that I've said that you uh, you want to challenge, I've got data for it. So, yeah. But my, my my bedrock is data, uh, and so the I don't spout numbers because. A, I've got a random number generating machine in the office is that you've got numbers as a defensive line and what could go wrong quite frankly it all, it all ran wrong last year and yet yeah. if you want to if you want to basically crash test something
1: yeah
2: we had a we had a crash test last year We into a sort of disaster recovery uh, example and the economy was incredibly robust yeah again to repeat I can't think of anything more that could have been chucked at the economy last year.
0: Wow. So could onwards you? from here yeah. is the uh, takeaway. Well, I feel as though you could, we could just go on and talk about all of this for literally forever. There is a time limit and unfortunately that time limit has come. I would love to get you back another time um, to have us to speak some more. I think we've got more to talk about with mortgages and um, Brexit and all sorts, but thank you so much for joining us for this episode. It's been very enlightening and I would implore anyone to look up Sarvesta's, um, articles and things, subscribe to a couple of things as well, and uh, you will certainly go away feeling much more educated than when you started. You're very
2: kind, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah.